When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Over the past few months, businesses, especially small businesses, have faced a lot of proverbial lemons, but the power of pivoting has become clearer than ever. We're here to share stories from PayPal merchants who have pivoted their businesses during COVID-19, innovating their way through uncertain and strenuous times. Welcome to The Adaptables. Welcome back, lovely listeners. As you all know, I'm your host, Sarah Davidson, and I'm delighted to have Nadia Lloyd joining me today from Toronto. Nadia is an artist and fashion designer creating not only bold, urban and elegant abstract pieces of art, but also men's, women's and children's clothing, many of which showcase the skyline of her home in Toronto. When COVID-19 hit earlier this year, Nadia made a pandemic pivot into creating fabric face masks that feature her original art, and they absolutely flew out the door. The mayor of Toronto bought a few and started wearing them wherever he went. Nadia then expanded into dedicated Black Lives Matter masks, and the entire Toronto Raptors team started wearing them out in public. Adapting her business strategy and expanding her online presence helped make Nadia a household name. I'll let her tell you more herself. Nadia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Very excited to be here and to chat with you. (laughs) So before we get into it, we kick off every episode with a little icebreaker. What is the biggest assumption you had about going into business that got busted as soon as you started? Because I think we all have a lot of preconceptions about how smooth it's going to be, how every Everything is going to go to plan. But of course, it turns out to be a very different experience. <laughs> For sure. Well, you know, here I was thinking if I'm my own boss, I can just work a couple of hours a day, be really selective what days I work, what days I have fun. And I quickly learned that I gave up the nine to five for the five to nine. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I would go as far as saying sometimes it's 24 hours, you know. (laughs) For sure. I think that's a very common assumption that you're going to get so much flexibility and control over your time. Yeah. And then that all goes totally out the window, which I think has actually given business owners a bit of a head start in preparing for the madness of this year. It's like we're all a bit more accustomed to dealing with sort of uncertainty and things going off plan and constant pivots. But having said that, 2020 really has taken that to a whole new level. So let's start with how you've had to adapt to this year. We've touched on some of the amazing things that you've been able to do, but before we jump into those in a little bit more detail, run us through your biggest pain points and challenges through the pandemic. Was there a big shutdown? You know, did your contract start to dry up? Tell us about the challenges and how you reacted to them. Absolutely. So aside from being an artist and a designer, I'm also an event creator. And since 2013, I've been running another company called Toronto Art Crawl. And basically, I create large scale art exhibit for artists. And these exhibits will feature anywhere from 60 to 120 artists at a time. And I typically run between five and seven a year. Wow. And really the last seven years has been my bread and butter. It's been the bulk of my, my, how I spend my days, you know, taking care of the marketing, the social media, renting the venues, paying the insurance, writing the newsletters, all of that. And so in 2020, I started the year planning seven events. Mm. I ran the first one in February on February 5th, and it went really well. 
But the second event was canceled by the city because it was scheduled for April 5th. And by then the pandemic had officially begun and, and the city was starting to close up shops. And I had no idea what the future held for me for 2020 and for the other six events that I had planned out. But long story short, they've all been canceled. And so the first couple of weeks of March, you know, it was me and my son. He was due to take March break. And then before the end of March break, they said, the kids are staying home for another two weeks. <laughs> We're like, okay, cool. We'll make the most of it. But then after that, it was like another two weeks, another two weeks, another two weeks, another two weeks, basically till the end of June. So the first two weeks of the pandemic for me were worrisome. I, I worried about what was going to happen to my events, how I was going to make income to pay for my rent and sustain my household. And like everybody else across the globe, I just had to wait and see what was going to happen and cross my fingers and pray. I think that was actually one of the hardest things was that it was sort of two-week increments, you know. It wasn't like we're announcing this big thing that you can actually adjust to and you have certainty around how long it's going to last. It was just Absolutely. like, oh, yeah. yeah, just stay tuned and we'll extend it again and a little bit again. And, yeah, it was just so hard to keep up. And I think we quickly had to learn to just take life and stay in the present knowing that even the long-term future, which is two weeks, is not even secure. So really stay in the present and see what happens. And as tough as that's been, I don't think it's been a bad insight to a lot of us who live with our heads so many years into the future all the time and don't sort of come back to that present moment, even though, of course, on, on the flip side, it's very hard to not actually have any plans and, of course, a bit scary. Absolutely. So as well as your events, what about your product line? Did you have any sort of supply chain issues or storefront stockists of your range closing as well as, you know, all the financial pressures, of course, being a mom and having rent and overheads and the emotional response? How did you sit with that fear and uncertainty in those very early days? Well, the government in Canada quickly came to the table and said, we understand the situation we're putting you in. So regardless of what industry you come from, just rest assured that we're going to be introducing programs, financial programs to assist you very shortly. And so that gave me a little bit of comfort because even though, aside from the events, I'm, a, I'm an artist and a designer, really the first few months of the pandemic, everybody was uncertain about their future. So I even saw the online sales of my accessories and designs and of my art screeched to a halt. Mm. In terms of, of the supply chain, I didn't have to worry too much about that because thankfully I had lots of inventory, but I was more concerned about my website is now quiet, right? People aren't thinking about buying a hoodie or buying <laughs> a beanie or buying a shower curtain featuring the Toronto skyline. Right now they're thinking, I need to hold on to my pennies. I need to buy groceries. I need to buy toilet paper <laughs> and, and I need to just stay put and see what happens. So I, you know, the first couple of months or sorry, the first couple of weeks until I started sewing face masks, I would say I was in the same boat as everybody else across the globe, just sitting on the edge of my, my seat, hoping for the best. But thankfully, the Canadian government started putting out messages right away. And that gave me a little bit of reassurance that I would be okay. Yeah. I read a beautiful story about how you and your son cut up cushion covers from the collection that you weren't able to move at that time to make the first masks. And then you got back on the sewing machine for the first time and had to buy a sewing machine on Facebook. So yeah, so what happened was it was about two or three weeks into the pandemic and my son and I love to go out for walks. And in fact, the CN Tower, which is featured on a lot of my products is, is about a half hour walk from here and we can see it from our balcony. And it's also my muse. Mm. So a few weeks into the pandemic, 
like everybody else, I, I went online and ordered face masks because quickly I realized, okay, I need to protect myself and protect others as well. So we'll need to get a hold of some face masks. But like everybody else, the PPEs were hard to find and in very high demand. So one Sunday afternoon, we wanted to go for a walk. It was a beautiful day. We wanted to go for a walk. And I said, you know what? I have an idea. Like I know how to sew because my parents were fashion designers when I was young. Oh, wow. And I used to spend my summers in their factory. So I learned to sew at six years old. <gasps> yeah, but I don't have a sewing machine, but I had like hand needles. So I said, let's take one of my cushion covers featuring the Toronto skyline. Let's cut it up and let's just, produce two face masks for ourselves so that we can, you know, go out and about and, and, and feel like we're doing our job to protect ourselves and protect others. And so we did that, mm -hmm. took some photos at the tower that I posted on social media and people just went bananas right away. And they were messaging me on all social media. Where can I get this? Where can I buy this? I want one. I want one. But at the time I didn't have any more of the skyline materials. So, oh. so I thought, well, I'm not sure I'm not sure I want to sell these, but I know I can sew. I don't have a machine, but I know I can sew. And I have a ton of cushion covers that I can repurpose. And I haven't done anything with myself for two weeks. And I'm kind of feeling down about that. So that's when the inspiration struck to start sewing face masks, but to donate to frontline workers, nurses, and doctors. Because along with the request for people to buy the Skyline mask, I received a ton of messages from nurses and doctors saying, can you help us? Mm. So I put the word out on Facebook in my community. I said, I need a sewing machine. And one of my neighbors who happens to live in my building put up her hand and, and said, I have a sewing machine my mom gave me 20 years ago. I haven't used. It's yours if you want it. <gasps> so yeah, so within days, she lent me the machine and I went online and I started looking at patterns on you know, the different face masks that are available and how to make them. And I realized like, I can do this. This is not hard. I can totally do this. So I did that for about six weeks or so. Um, and I was donating like 60 to hundred a week. And it was, it made me feel great because it gave me something to do during the day. Mm. And it showed my son, you know, how you can think outside the box in times of needs and find ways to take care of your own mental health and well-being, but also be helpful and useful to others. And I would say about six weeks in, I started thinking like, okay, I've donated hundreds of face masks. And now I have to start buying supplies and I want to start printing more of my fabric with my art because I don't want to buy, I don't want to use generic fabric for these face masks. I like my art and it tends to do really well in, in a face mask. Who knew? <laughs> so <laughs> The things you learn, right? Oh my God. Like if you said to me a year ago, I'd be making face masks with my art. I would have said, <laughs> are you feeling okay? But yeah, I've, I've made like thousands now. So, <laughs> so then I, I, I decided, you know what? People are asking for these. I have the skills, let me, you know, put two and two together. And that's when I decided, decided to start selling the face masks and using the, the, the money coming in from the sales to keep buying supplies so I could keep donating for free. And so I did that until about June, until the mayor of Toronto came knocking on my door to say that he loved my work. As you do, right? Like so normal. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> what else could this year bring? I mean, only the Raptors right? could top that. <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> I mean, you are just, yeah. I have absolute goosebumps right now. You are just such a perfect example of using a really terrible situation and just pulling together what you have, where you are and doing what you can with that. Like, I think we get 
you know, in those moments of panic, I want to, I need to start a whole new business. Like it, you, we think we need to make these drastic changes, but you can just think, what are my skills? What is the fabric I already have in this house? Literally repurposing things that you couldn't do anything with. Literally, literally. I don't even live in Toronto and I had Toronto pride, like looking at the <laughs> skyline and knowing Love that it. a local made this artwork and it's, they're all unique, but they're also contributing to frontline workers. I mean, you've just made such an incredible initiative out of something that we could never ever have predicted. Absolutely. And in terms of your infrastructure, I was looking on the website and saw that you're offering free shipping, which I imagine has been really popular and helpful in making your masks accessible around Canada. And of course, you're also a PayPal merchant, which again, in a time where your online store has gone from shutting down almost completely to getting all these new people who had never necessarily interacted with your business before, how important do you think those choices were for sort of, you know, building trust and getting new people to come onto the site and and actually purchase? How did you factor that all into your bottom line? And how did you go about choosing your partners to allow for this kind of incredible growth? Absolutely. Well, I've been a big fan of PayPal since 2013 because I've used it since 2013 to run my events. Um, You know, the name PayPal is so well known. It has that that consumer trust. And uh, in 2013, I decided that when I was running my events and I had all of these applications and registrations coming in from artists and sponsors that I needed to find a quick and easy way to manage my bookkeeping, but also my payment processing. And so having everything funnel through PayPal, it may, going as far as having PayPal links on my application forms. Oh, wow. So my artists and sponsors, yeah, they fill out the application. When they click submit at the, at the end, it takes them right to PayPal where they make the payment. It gives them a way of tracking the history of the payments that they've made. It gives me a means of keeping track of my my bookkeeping and making it so much easier for me to pass on the information to my accountant at the end of the year to do my books. So I've been a huge fan of of PayPal and, and a customer, you know, for many, many years. So when I built the Shopify website, it was a no-brainer to use PayPal as well because then it it funnels all of my business transactions in one place, mm. which makes it so much simpler for me to prepare the books at the end of the year to pass them on to my accountant. And again, c- consumers will see the name PayPal and they'll say, well, I trust PayPal because I know that if I have an issue, PayPal stands behind me. So huge fan of PayPal. Mm. So free shipping for me was actually um, sort of a way to help myself and to help my clients as well. Um, so what I decided to do was because we're in a pandemic and because I have a little one at home um, and getting to the post office on a regular basis would be difficult to do. And there's no actual physical post office in my neighborhood, but we have the post office boxes. I thought if I offer free shipping, then I can easily grab, you know, a couple of hundred stamps at the post office every week. I can label all of my shipments in my art studio. And then at my own leisure, I can walk to the post box and drop, you know, between 50 and 100 at a time. And then the clients really don't have to worry about paying shipping, which I've learned is really attractive to them. Um, And for me, it just simplifies the process of running the business because it means I don't have to get in my car and run to the post office every day after school when I'm done virtual schooling my son. (laughs) We can just walk, you know, 10 steps out the door. I figured, you know what, I'll bite bite the, the, the $2 fee for shipping and just 
sort of take that whole concern out of the equation for my clients and for myself. Yeah, gosh, it's just so exciting. And obviously a really scary time that is forcing a lot of people to move online in a time when they might not have otherwise embraced that environment. But you're such a great example of the fact that you can reach a whole nation and maybe even go international when you do embrace that digital world. And you can create these amazing products and get them out into the world and offer things like free shipping and build yourself using an infrastructure of Shopify and PayPal and, and just fly and flourish with it. It's so exciting. Absolutely. Right. It's like that brick and mortar without the brick and mortar. So it's, it's, it's really the best of all worlds because my clients and my fans know exactly where to go to look at my work. Mm. The pandemic doesn't really slow us down. It, it, in fact, when you're online, it doesn't even affect you at all, which is amazing. That's such a great point. It really does safeguard you from a lot of what's happening sort of out in the physical world because you aren't slowed down by the things that are holding up physical venues. And that's something I, I wanted to ask just if you had, you know, any advice for businesses that might be feeling a little overwhelmed or intimidated by online, if they've had, if, you know, they've only ever been bricks and mortar, if you have any advice for making that shift to embracing digital, why it's easier than you might expect, what it's allowed you, I imagine that it was through your online presence that the mayor and the Raptors kind of actually discovered what you were doing at all. Like, tell us about that. It absolutely was, you know, and I think it's important for me to say that Even before the pandemic, I knew that life was moving from physical to online. I mean, the pandemic really has forced us to take, you know, 90% of what we do physically online at this point. And to your point, if it wasn't for my social media, neither the mayor or the Raptors would have ever heard about Natty Lloyd and what she's up to. (laughs) Yeah. So in the example of the mayor, for example, what what I did is when I, I mean, I've, I've always been active on social media because I feel that as an artist, my job is to share my work and also to hopefully in turn inspire others to be creative. Mm. I hope that when they see that I give myself permission to be creative and have fun, whatever's been on their minds about, you know, whether it's writing, knitting, building, painting, that'll, it'll give them permission and a space for them to actually follow through with that as well. So when I started making the mask, I started posting photos right away. And then I would post photos of the nurses and doctors wearing the mask. I would post photos of all the different designs that I was doing. Um, and then sometime in May, I thought I need to order more fabric because my inventory is dwindling down, but I also want to have fun doing it. So let me look at the art that I currently have available and let's get ready to start printing some of my art, some new art on fabric. And that's actually when I came up with uh, doing a pride mask to celebrate pride month in June and combining the Toronto skyline to the prime to pride design uh, because the the Toronto skyline is really my muse. And so I did that in May. I I designed, uh, I put together the design. I set it up in in Photoshop, sent it to print. The night it came in, I was like a kid in a candy store. (laughs) I, you know, within like five minutes of getting the, getting the box in my hands, I, ripped it open, took the fabric, cut it up, sat at the sewing machine, and I had the first mask in my hand in five minutes. And I felt really proud and excited by that. And so the next morning, I posted a photo on Instagram wearing the mask. It was actually a video (gasps) where I kind of pan back and forth to show not only the pride flag, but also the skyline. And the caption said something like, oh yeah, I went there. (laughs) We can't celebrate pride this month. 
because of COVID, but here's one way we can make a stand to what we believe in and we can celebrate and build our community. And it's actually through that video that the mayor's office ended up messaging me just days later saying, you know what, we've been looking for a pride mask. Then we came across your mask, not only pride mask, but pride mask with the Toronto skyline. Can we come and pick up a few for the mayor? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Let me see if and I can so, fit that into my schedule. Um, right? I sure. was like, um, I'm, I'm ready in an hour. <laughs> you guys just talk about Let me just put my face on. <laughs> Absolutely. And so that night I got the text message, we're here. And here I'm thinking it's the mayor's team, like his assistant. And I went downstairs. I live in a condo. I went downstairs to the lobby. Lo and behold, the mayor is there. <gasps> no. The, yeah, the mayor is there. And, and he was sitting down and he stood up and he came up to me and he said, are you Natty Lloyd? And I said, yeah. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> am I? I don't know. And, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, I'm Mayor Tory. And I was like, yeah, I know who you are. What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you at my house? <laughs> oh, my God. He said, I love your work. I've seen your whole website. I love what you've been doing, you know, um, your the charitable work you've been doing the last few months. And I had to meet you and I had to thank you. And this is not the last that you'll see me wearing this mask. And sure enough, to this day, in fact, today, he took his flu shot wearing my Canada Toronto mask on TV. Like, I'd go as far to say that he's exclusively wearing Natty Lloyd face mask now, which is, <gasps> you can quote me because I've only seen, he's seen him wear another mask once since June 6th. So it's it's been really exciting. Oh my gosh. I mean, that is just the perfect <laughs> example of that whole idea that someone out there is looking for exactly what you have. Absolutely. And it's up to us as entrepreneurs, really, we have to stay up with the times. If everybody's online, then we need to be online. I mean, we just can't survive without it because nobody, nobody's getting, you know, a three-inch phone book anymore, right? <laughs> but and so instead of seeing social media, for example, as a, oh, I have to post, I don't know what that, no, try to stay authentic to it. Share things that excite you, that you think will excite others. Think of it that way. It's, it's almost like a scrapbook for, for what you're doing and what you love. And there's always a market for that. And it's not just a market, like you will discover a fan base who will love you, love your story, want, and want to invest and support so they can turn around and, and be able to say, I'm wearing Natty Lloyd. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really a give and take. And we need to just roll with the punches as entrepreneurs and accept it all. I think that's such great advice and pretty much the answer to my next question, which was just to go back to the very beginning when you first started your business and when you were, you know, I think the... For some people, starting a business might be the way that they pivot this year. They might have lost their job or they might be moving into business because they see that that's, you know, whatever will propel them forward and, and help them adapt. Or for others, it just could be that they're earlier on in their journey and making a big shift under the pressure of the pandemic. And I wanted to go back to those very early days and sort of get your reassuring words on the fact that you can start with a good idea and put yourself out there and use the tools that exist to really build something, even if the self-doubt feels like it might topple you. And I love that you call yourself an art entrepreneur and it's been, you know, over a decade. Being an artist and a business person isn't, you know, it might seem a little contradictory because I think a lot of artists don't necessarily see themselves as that. But how did you approach those early days? You know, did it take time? How did you build your business strategy? You've got 
so many different things. I didn't know you did home decor as well. You have so many different arms, but so many different things. Yeah. So I I have to say this, I have to say that in the early days, I always knew I was an entrepreneur. And so when I learned how to sew at six years old at my parents' factory, I then also learned to sew pencil cases that I would sell at school in September so that I could make money to buy the things I wanted because I didn't want to keep hearing my parents saying money doesn't grow on trees. (laughs) And so at a a very young age, I was like, I need to make money. I need to make money. And how am I going to do it? And so I I realized at a super young age, I'm just going to use my skills and my resources and figure it out. That was the lead into what I've been doing for 10 years now and being an artist. It's only really like maybe five, six years ago, working as a full-time artist that I made the connection that to be an entrepreneur, you need to be creative. All entrepreneurs have a little artist in them because to be an entrepreneur, first of all, you have to have ideas. You have to be able to think from A to Z, how are you going to develop these ideas Mm. to materialize them to the next step, to the next level? You have to have creativity to overcome speed bumps and difficulties and challenges because no one else is there to figure it out for you. So you have to do it. Even though not all artists are good entrepreneurs, I believe that all entrepreneurs are creative. Mm. So in my case, I have to say, just like the how, how I explained the story unfolded, it kind of happened by accident. And a lot of the things in my life kind of happened by accident. But at the same time, I think where I'm able to, let's say, succeed is that when I get a little stroke of inspiration or an idea, I don't squash it. I ponder it without labeling it good and bad, up or down, left or right, black or white. I ponder it. I ponder the full range. And so when I thought, let me still face masks for ourselves. Okay, cool. I've got the needle, I have the thread, I have the fabric, I have the scissors. Done. When the request started to come in, can you help us out? Okay, well, I mean, I've got the cushion covers. I'll, I, I'm, you know, now I have a sewing machine. I have the time. Done. Then when people said, can we start buying them? It was like, you know what? I'm getting emails all day long from people asking to buy them. I need to buy supplies. I guess I'll start selling. Like, you've got to be able to, to, to not block yourself to the universe sending you the answers and sometimes slapping you in the face with the answers as to like what your next what your next step or your next move should be right and you have to trust so my advice is don't knock any ideas down even when you hear people say you know what you should do i actually hate when people start a sentence like that yeah but i've trained myself to be like what should i do and then i've learned to take that information ponder it and decide if it fits or if it doesn't mm-hmm. and see how you can roll with the punches and pivot and stay relevant. You have well and truly earned your name as one of the adaptables right here. It's, a, <laughs> it's such an important reminder that, you know, being an entrepreneur isn't necessarily the idea that you have. It's your ability to roll with different ideas adapt. and let them it's evolve. It's your ability to adapt Yeah, 100%. And I love that idea that you don't necessarily stick with one thing or another. You're not attached to anything except the idea of not being attached to anything and constantly creating and never blocking out ideas because I think the contrast between people who are really business-minded and who aren't and who do well in business and who don't is that kind of thinking. And, I, you know, I look back at my former self. I was a corporate lawyer. All I did was think in terms of certainty and sticking rigidly to plans and to what I thought was 
is what life should look like and what success look like. But being a business person, the definition of a good business person is to think the opposite, the ability to not have a plan, but still work it out anyway. And to fluctuate and to, yeah, absolutely. In terms of translating all that into an actual offering, I think that is one difficult part of, you know, having so many creative ideas, but then where do you put them? What do you actually funnel them into? And you mentioned that you've always embraced online and you built a Shopify website. And I think your website now is incredibly robust. There's so many different products and areas and categories. But back at the beginning, how did you set that up initially? How long did it take? Did you need help to build that? Because I think when you are a creative brain, the actual like nuts and bolts are a bit of a barrier because you're like, oh. I don't I just want to be in the ideas. I don't want to do the stuff, but you've got to do the stuff as well. So what are your tips? 100%, 100%. And also, you know, you you already, like I'm, I'm already wearing 16 million hats and I'm, I'm a little bit of a technophobe. So there's a little bit of a reluctance there when I have to learn new technology. But I was super lucky because I initially had a website. It featured my artwork. And then I realized that the, the the initial website I was using to sell my art was limiting me in in what I could do and how I could sell. And luckily at the time, I just made friends with with a woman who came along and said, you know what, you need a Shopify website. And this is sort of in the early days of Shopify. And I was like, oh my God, no, please don't even try to teach me something new right now. Like I, I just want to cry. <laughs> she was like, listen, you paid me a six foot by four foot skyline of Toronto. <gasps> Because I know how much you charge for those. I will build the website for you. I will take all of the photos. I will write every description. I will set it up for you so that you, you've got a website ready to go and you can just grow it from there. And so that's exactly what we did. She came to my house with her camera. We shot photos of every single product. And basically that is how my Shopify gallery came to life. And that's another great lesson for entrepreneurs is that you don't always have to pay people in cash. You can also barter, which is amazing, you know, because there are people out there who want what you have. And in my case, it's products and art. Totally. And so all the time they'll say to me like, hey, you know what? I can do this. I see you're looking for, I don't know, a graphic designer for a little gig. I can do that for you. Can you throw a hoodie and a beanie my way? And I'm like, 100%. Absolutely. I think that's such an important lesson that you can't see yourself as limited by what you can afford in money. We all have other forms of currency, whether it's social currency or relationship currency, like there's so many different ways to get ahead, even if you don't have a lot of capital. Exactly. And that website would have cost me close to 2,500, which I didn't have at the time. But for me to get the canvas and to get the paint and three days of fun painting a Toronto skyline, (laughs) no brainer. You're like, I came out of this at the better end of the deal. Absolute no brainer. But she was over the moon because this painting was gorgeous. It really was a fabulous energy exchange. Totally. We didn't have to exchange money, but we exchanged our talents and our skills, which was great. I think that's, again, another reminder as well, that even though it's easy for you and it's a pleasure for you, we really easily discount the value of what we do because we're like, oh, if I can do it, it must not be worth anything. But someone else wants that. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to remember too, like when someone says to me, how long does it take you to paint something? My answer is now 45 years. And they're like, what? I'm 45, but the the answer is it took me all of my life to get to where I am today. (gasps) So even if it takes me 30 minutes to paint an abstract that I sell for 1200, it took me my entire life 
to learn how to paint an abstract in an hour that you're going to love for as long as you live. So that's a really, really (laughs) valuable reminder for creatives as well, because when you are really good at what you do, your output to people who don't understand what it takes are often like, oh, but you just knock that up in a really quick amount of time. And I think that leads a lot of artists to undervalue their their product because hundred and to question themselves and how much they price their goods for. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. going forward, I think the pandemic has revealed so many things that we might not have otherwise considered that we want to bring into the future, but also a lot of things that maybe didn't work so well and that we want to leave behind. It's been a really nice stock take of our lives and our businesses. I imagine the Raptors is something that you're going to take <laughs> forward with you. I am the exclusive Raptor mask provider. Uh, what are some of the things that you definitely want to keep going with and what are some of the things that you've revealed to yourself that you maybe don't need anymore well okay so what i want to take with me actually ties into the raptors and so up until the point where i designed the blm mask all of the art that i've ever put out to the world i did because i felt the art was beautiful and i wanted to beautify my environment and bring smiles to people's faces but it's not until the blm mask was designed that I realized that I can also design for function and purpose. Mm. So the BLM design and then having the Raptors mission and vision align with mine at a time where I went through a lot of heartache, you know, taking in what happened to Brianna Taylor, George Floyd, having them in the NBA and the playoffs wearing my mask, but also Black Lives Matter on their buses and, and on their jerseys and talking about it in the media. That really taught me that that as an artist with an audience, it's really important. And it's a gift that I can use my voice and reflect that in my work in ways that it can engage others in conversations and, and create that channel also to help people show others where they stand without saying a word, right? So it's, it's really, it's a really powerful image and the fact that it's on your face over your mouth and your nose and that you're going about your day wearing it and whoever you encounter run into sees it and they recognize the fist of solidarity they recognize the toronto skyline and now they they most likely recognize it as the mask that nick nurse wore for the entire season <laughs> mm. you know it's it's it, it really helps me get my message out and and the hopes for in my own lifetime to see systemic racism really come to an end and create a world of love and equality because i have a nine-year-old too and i have yeah. really high hopes for him so i would say that that is the main Uh, what I will take with me post-pandemic. In terms of what I don't want to take with me post-pandemic and that I was forced like the rest of the world to let go in the last eight months is what we talked about briefly, that that sense of being on a treadmill or a a hamster wheel, Mm. you know, our life is planned, you know, six to eight weeks ahead, the pressures of life. I've been able to spend eight months really truly pursuing passions, stepping out of my house and running into people wearing my face mask. Like I want more of that post pandemic. And so I've made a commitment to myself that I've now reconnected with with that really creative side of me that needs creativity like oxygen. I I need to really remind myself of what's important to me and that's creativity and to make sure that it's a part of my everyday life and that I teach it to my son as well because we become grownups and we stop creating. Why? (laughs) 
<laughs> creating is so is so healing and therapeutic. Why do we stop? We need it more than ever. Absolutely. So yeah, that's what I'm taking with me post pandemic. Oh, Nadia, I've had goosebumps for most of this conversation. You are such an incredible <laughs> inspiration and a true adaptable. Thank you so, so much for joining. Oh, this has been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where can we all find you and your beautiful pieces? Well, you can find me online at nadialloyd.com. That's N-A-D-I-A-L-L-O-Y-D. And you can find me on social media across all platforms at nadialloyd.to, T-O for Toronto. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again for joining, Nadia. Guys, I hope you're all feeling as inspired as I am right now. What a powerhouse she is. My brain was ticking so fast that whole time. I pulled so many valuable things away from Nadia's experience and reflections. Like we did last time, I thought I'd pull out a couple that really resonated with me that I think many of us can benefit from and take away from this conversation to apply in a practical sense to our business journeys. The first is a financial point, which I think is something that's so important to mention because it could either hold us back or propel us forward. As Nadia mentioned, you don't have to pay people in cash. Other people want exactly what you have, your skills, your experience. To you, of course, it might seem like nothing, but it's so worthy to someone else. And often we think we can't afford something, but there's so much else that you can exchange beyond just money that if you really think outside the box, you could really push yourself forward without needing to spend a lot and get two people or two different businesses benefiting mutually. So I think that was such an important point to remember. The second one was to stay true to your social media and share the things that excite you. Because people, of course, come for your product or your service, but they also come for you and the story and your values. And what you offer, as we just mentioned, is what makes you different from everyone else. So stay true to those values. It's also very hard to put a lot of effort into something that isn't sustainable. And if you're not being yourself, it's not sustainable. So I love that idea of staying really true to who you are and to what excites you because inevitably you will find other people who are excited by those exact same things. The third one was not all artists are entrepreneurs, but all entrepreneurs are creative. Don't lose that muscle. The creative muscle is what will help you pivot no matter what. And I think sometimes we dismiss our creativity because we think we're not artists if our business or if our entrepreneurial venture isn't necessarily in the arts. But what you do every day is create. And the fourth one that I really pulled out as well was Nadia just saying that no matter what, she felt PayPal stands behind her. There are so many incredible platforms and businesses and organizations that are there to support you. When you first start your business, of course, it's quite scary and it can feel really isolating to begin with, but there is so much support out there. The small to medium business landscape has come a long way and is constantly developing to offer support, to offer tools, to offer networks, to offer all kinds of things that will help you on your journey. So don't forget that you can find incredible partners for your business and rely on them because they will stand behind you and are there to support you. I hope you guys found this one as enjoyable and as enlightening as I did. Make sure you tune in next time to join PayPal and myself for more of The Adaptables.